Sandra, what are we going to talk about today? Not dictators and no Donald Trump, that's for sure. Some of our previous episodes that were a bit more political depleted us of all energy. So no GOP, no Trump. Today we'll go with something lighter, a murder case. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone, welcome to Dubious. I'm Tyler. And I'm Sandra, and this episode we'll be discussing some haunting events, two sadistic murders, two murdered children to be exact, and the murderer? A 10-year-old girl named Mary Flora Bell. We'll also talk about Mary Bell's upbringing, her abusive and traumatic family life, and the things she endured before the murders. And you can guess, it's not going to be good. So fair warning, this subject matter is not for the faint-hearted. Right, it's good that you dropped that advisory there. I'd also like to add, if you have kids with you and you're listening in the car, probably best to wait until you're alone. The details of these murders, as well as what happened to Mary in her first years of her life, are beyond disturbing. Good point. So without further ado, let's get into it. The following events happened in 1968 in the Scotswood suburb of Newcastle-upon-Tyne, England. So Mary Bell, she was an adorable looking child with big eyes and pretty features. Nothing about her exterior appearance would have warned anyone about what went on inside her head. But she had been acting strangely for weeks before the first murder she committed. It seemed, based on all the materials we've read in preparation for this episode, that she had an unhealthy obsession with death and she even tortured and killed animals. Well, look, that doesn't surprise me at all. Most serial killers start their careers, so to speak, by torturing animals, and then they progress to murdering people. As we'll see later in the episode, while awaiting trial, Mary made many strange comments to the prison guard, and at one point she even said, I like hurting little things that can't fight back. So, torturing animals, that's where all the red flags go up and the dubimeter alarms start sounding. There's a lot of literature on how serial killers start by torturing animals. If I'm not wrong, those boys who- Sandra, you're never wrong. <laughs> Thank you, I know, and I'm glad you finally reached this conclusion. <laughs> okay. As I was saying, the boys who slaughtered children and teachers at Columbine School in that mass shooting that showed the world that Americans love their guns more than they love their kids. Those boys, for example, enjoyed torturing defenseless animals too. So, mm, makes my stomach turn. Is it weird that I find it harder to talk about animals being hurt than people? <laughs> Not as weird as you think. Well, I guess you're right because I know you and just the thought of anything bad happening to your dog Nala gives you anxiety, so. <laughs> that is a fair point. Let's go on with the story, please. Only because you said so. We were discussing some disturbing and strange behavior Mary Bell displayed before the first murder, before she killed Martin Brown, a four-year-old boy. Right. On May 11, 1968, two weeks before her first murder, Mary was playing with another three-year-old boy when he was badly injured in a fall from the top of an air raid shelter. His parents obviously thought it was an accident. But the following day, three mothers living in the same neighborhood as Mary went to the police and told them that Mary had attempted to strangle their young daughters. She tried to choke them, and the police were not too alarmed. They did interview Mary and basically gave her a lecture, but no charges were filed. In fairness, 
what else are you gonna do to a 10 year old do you know what i mean i guess now there would be all kinds of mental health help available for mary but remember this was all happening in 1968 i'm not making excuses for the policeman but if you were one of those cops would you have realized you're looking at a cold-blooded 10 year old murder or would you have assumed this was a girl's fighting, you know, situation and chalk it off to kids being rowdy and mean to each other? Probably the latter, yeah. I can't imagine anyone would have instantly assumed, oh, this tiny little 10-year-old in front of me is a sadistic killer. Well, what happened next? Well, brace yourselves, because now we're going into the gruesome part. Right the day before she turned 11... So, on May 25th, 1968, Mary Bell strangled four-year-old Martin Brown to death in an abandoned house in Scotswood. She then left the scene, met with a friend of hers named Norma Bell, no relation, just a coincidence of identical family names, and bragged about what she did. Mary Bell then returned to the crime scene along with Norma Bell, but when they got to this abandoned house, two local boys were there, so they had gone there to play, apparently. You know, kids back then uh, liked to play in abandoned houses, it seems, in England. And those two boys had stumbled upon the body, freaked out, obviously, and had already yelled for help. And some adults had called the police. So it was a whole commotion situation going on when the girls returned. And the police were confused and did not know what conclusion to draw. Besides a bit of blood and saliva on the victim's face, there were no apparent signs of violence. But guess what they did find near the body? What did they find? Well, an empty bottle of painkillers. Some sources say sleeping pills near the body on the floor. And because they had no further clues, the police assumed Martin Brown had swallowed the pills intentionally and ruled his death an accident. Right, because back then they didn't have DNA testing and so on. And if the body didn't have any scratches or signs of violence... I do not fully understand, though, why the police made a decision so fast. I know that when someone dies from being choked or strangled, you have, um, I don't know the medical term, but the blood vessels in your eyes burst, right? Sometimes there are marks around the neck, depending on how the choking happened. I mean, medical examiners knew these things even back then. But I guess nobody checked, maybe? I do not think blood testing was done either, so we actually don't know if the kid was made maybe by Mary Bell to actually swallow any of the pills. Probably yes, if I were to guess. The thing is, this being a community of regular normal people with not a lot of violent crime at all, and I guess no child murders ever, I think the police simply thought the kid took the pills intentionally, maybe not even knowing the full effect of what the pills would do. So yes, sadly, they thought it was an unfortunate accident. But see, this is where we just... Notice, like, this is where we realize how evil Mary Bell is, but also how intelligent she is, right? She tried to choke those three girls, remember, in the weeks before she killed Martin Brown? Well, she learned from that experience. She realized that it's actually very hard to kill a human, no matter how young they are, unless they're a newborn, maybe. So she probably thought it would be easier if she sedates her victims first with painkillers or sleeping pills, as you said, we don't know for sure if uh, poor little Martin Brown, this four-year-old kid, ingested any pills obliged by Mary, but it is possible, and even if he didn't, just the fact that Mary Bell, at just 10 years old, knew to place the bottle of painkillers by the body to make it look like a suicide is insane to me. The fact that she thought of how to cover her tracks in that way, at only 10 years old, 
when she had access to much less information than kids nowadays do, right? In 1968, there was no social media, no reality TV shows about coroners performing autopsies, no law and order or investigative crime shows, so... <laughs> Wait, what? There's a TV show about a coroner and autopsies? Oh my god, Tyler, yes. Have you not watched Dr. G Medical Examiner? What are you even doing with your life? <laughs> like, it's really good. It's fascinating, actually, to see real cases, people with unknown causes of death, and Dr. G figures it all out. It's science, anatomy, biology, all rolled into like a good educative show. And it's very interesting and kind of creepy, but it's good. I used to watch Dr. G all the time. Mm. You know, this actually explains a lot. Wow. <laughs> Keep on like this and you're going to end up on that show. <laughs> okay, let's move on. I feel threatened right now. Good, that was the point. <laughs> so this upcoming part here is beyond disturbing. Maybe in a way even more disturbing than the murder itself. A few days after Martin's death, Mary Bell popped up at this house, knocked on the door, and asked to see the four-year-old boy she murdered. His mom, not knowing she's talking to her son's killer, tried to gently explain that her Martin was dead, and Mary replied, I already know that, but I want to see his body in the coffin. That's beyond sick. It's just so f***ed up it makes me physically shudder. I mean, it's revolting, more so than any child murder case I've heard of, to be honest. And of course, Martin's mom at this point simply slammed the door in Mary's face. From what I understand during this whole exchange, Mary was smiling and looking super excited. Jesus. Jesus is busy speaking to Mike Johnson, didn't you hear? <laughs> what? The Speaker of the House said that once Kevin McCarthy was removed as Speaker, God began to wake him up in the middle of the night to speak to me, telling me to write things down, plans, procedures, and ideas on how we could pull the Republican conference together. <laughs> uh, I, I heard something, but I think it was regarding like god told him to prepare to become moses i'm not even joking but you know that saying if you speak to god or jesus that's fine but if he speaks back go see a psychiatrist <laughs> anyway let's see what happens next in our mary bell story all right soon after she killed martin brown mary bell and her equally disturbed friend norma bell decided to break into a nursery school and vandalize it they also wrote little notes taking responsibility for Martin Brown's murder, and they left these notes in the school. In the notes, Mary Bell promised to kill again. These childishly scribbled notes were filled with profanity, and they were unsettling to say the least. One note said, I murder so that I may come back. At the time, the police still assumed Martin's death was an accident, and whoever wrote the notes was just a dumb kid doing a morbid prank, a stupid joke. Mary would later admit to writing them for a giggle. Mm. And again, it just so happened that for the nursery school, this was just the latest, even though the most disturbing, in a series of break-ins. So the police didn't really take the incident as seriously as maybe they should have. After this, the nursery school installed an alarm system. Yes, but I don't know. I feel like this is where the police start really losing my support entirely. Several days after the vandalism incident, both Mary and Norma were caught at the school, but because they were simply loitering outside when the police arrived, they were let off the hook and nobody put two and two together. I mean, I feel like seeing those same two girls at the murder scene, then at the school where notes were saying we killed Martin Brown were found, plus the complaints of those mother who said their girls were strangled by Mary Bell, 
Come on, it's starting to add up. Not to mention that in the meantime, Mary Bell was telling her fellow classmates that she had killed Martin Brown. Her reputation as a show-off and a liar protected her, though, by preventing anyone from taking her seriously. She was known to talk all the time. But then, another young boy turned up dead. Two months after the first murder, on July 31st, Mary Bell and her friend Norma killed three-year-old Brian Howe together by strangulation. So this time Mary Bell didn't kill alone, she had Norma Bell to help. And unlike in the case of a four-year-old Martin Brown, Mary mutilated Brian's body with scissors, stabbing and scratching his thighs and, for lack of a better word, butchering his penis and testicles. Oh God. I thought you said he's busy. And by the way, I'm only referring to God as he because only a man can things up this bad <laughs> yes women have a clean track record don't they well yes actually we do well fine but you can't deny it it does seem god was busy when little martin brown and brian howe were being slaughtered by mary and norma bell girls well as we'll see later he's busy quite a lot he was also busy when mary bell was abused in horrifying ways when she was a baby so but hey, as long as our prayers are answered and the right team wins the Super Bowl and we find our lost keys when we're in a hurry, it's all good. God is great. <laughs> also, you're supposed to call it the big game, Sandra. Really? Is that... Really? Yeah, Super Bowl is trademarked and they get mad at you. God is great. <laughs> so where were we? A uh, little Brian House buddy. Right. So at some point it got late and little Brian didn't show up at home for dinner. His sister went looking for him. Mary and Norma were somewhere in the area and offered to help. The three girls searched the neighborhood and Mary even pointed out the concrete blocks that hit his body. But Norma said he wouldn't be there and Brian's sister moved on. So Brian was not, as far as we understand, killed inside an old abandoned house like Martin. Instead, it was a more dilapidated, secluded area and Mary and Norma hid his little body under those concrete slabs. Obviously, when Brian's body was finally found, the entire neighborhood panicked. At this point, two little boys were dead. Police changed their tune and became now convinced they have a serial killer on their hands. They immediately started interviewing local children, hoping someone saw something or remembered something that would lead to a suspect. It's important to mention here that before Mary and Norma were caught, the press had started referring to the killer as the Tyneside Strangler. Nobody imagined that it was a little girl. I mean, can you blame them? But about Brian Howe, when the coroner's report returned, this time there was a thorough post-mortem. It became obvious to police that they are dealing with a very disturbed individual. So as Brian's blood had cooled and rigor mortis set in, new marks appeared on his chest and neck, like strangulation marks. Clear marks. Moreover, it was obvious that someone had used a razor blade to scratch the letter M onto his torso. Plus, there was another disturbing observation. The coroner determined that, based on the lack of force in the attack, Brian's killer might have been a child. Also, Mary and Norma could not help themselves and exhibited intense interest in the investigation and their interviews with the police. While Mary was evasive, especially when police pointed out that she had been seen with Brian Howe on the day of his death, Norma seemed super excited. On the day of Brian's burial, Mary was seen lurking outside the house. 
When his coffin emerged to be taken to the cemetery for burial, people saw her laughing and rubbing her hands together joyfully. The police knew that if not caught fast, the killer would murder another child soon. So they continued their interviews and during that process, they called Mary back for a second interview. Mary, maybe sensing the detectives were closing in, invented a story about having seen an eight-year-old boy punch Brian on the day he died. She also told the police that the boy had a pair of broken scissors. That was Mary Bell's huge mistake. The mutilation of Brian's body with scissors had been kept from the press and the public. Only the investigators knew this detail. And one other person, Brian's murderer. Under further questioning, both Norma and Mary broke down. Norma first, and she started cooperating with police and told them about Mary too. Mary at this point admitted to being present during Brian Howe's murder, but tried to blame the actual murder on Norma. Both girls were charged and the trial date was set. And as we mentioned earlier, before her trial, Mary made many shocking comments to the prison guards, including, I like hurting little things that can't fight back. Needless to say, Mary's lack of emotions, unresponsiveness, and strange behavior led psychiatrists to label her as a psychopathic or a podcaster. Right, so before we get to the trial, let's look at Mary Bell's upbringing and her early childhood. Mary Bell was born on May 26, 1957, to Betty McCricket. Betty is described in many articles as a 16-year-old sex worker. Um, well, they use the word prostitute, actually, and I feel like that's so wrong. What Betty was is a child forced into using her body by adults who raped her, because 16-year-olds are not sex workers, they are sexually abused children, abused by adults. I mean, calling Betty a sex worker implies that she had agency in her own life, but the child is not equipped to give consent. Legally and psychologically, at 16, you can't have consensual sex with an adult. So what we have here is a teenage mother with a big package of traumas of her own, not to defend her as she was a bit of a horrible mom to marry, but she was a messed up child herself. I agree. Things went downhill as soon as Mary was born. Betty McCricket was often away from home on trips to Glasgow, but her absences were welcomed by a young Mary as periods of respite. Because when Betty was home, she mentally and physically abused her daughter Mary. Mary's aunt, Betty McCricket's sister, witnessed Betty trying to give Mary away to a woman who had been unsuccessfully trying to adopt. The sister, though, got involved and went and recovered Mary herself. Wrong decision if you ask me. If you know your teenage sister is incapable of raising a kid and is abusing that kid, why not let the child go to a family who really wants a kid and who would love and cherish Mary? Why? And also, why didn't this holier-than-thou aunt adopt Mary herself? Like, I hate this type of people. Yeah, good points. So apparently Mary was very clumsy as a young child. She once fell from a window and she accidentally overdosed on sleeping pills on another occasion. Yeah, so remember the pills near Martin Brown's body? I see a connection here. Yeah, some people see these accidents happening to little Mary. Well, that it was her mom Betty trying to rid herself of an encumbrance. I personally think it's not that. Betty was not trying to kill her little daughter. Betty had massive trauma of her own and probably suffered from Munchausen by proxy. In other words, Betty longed for the attention and sympathy her daughter's accidents brought her. 
Munchausen by proxy or MSP is a psychological disorder marked by attention-seeking behavior by a caregiver through those who are in their care. Uh, and we all know the case of uh, Gypsy Blanchard. M MSP is a relatively rare behavioral disorder. It affects a primary caretaker, often the mother, and the person with MSP gains attention by seeking medical help for exaggerated or made-up symptoms of a child in their care. Sometimes these caretakers go as far as to almost kill their children, despite the fact that it's not really their intention. Basically, Mary's mother just wanted the attention, right? Right. Mary Bell would later say that her mom even began to use her for sex work when she was just four years old. But this remains uncorroborated by family members, even the holier-than-thou sister. Could it have happened? Yes. Did it happen? Not sure, because we also know that Mary Bell lied a lot. And also the fact that her teenage mom tried to get Mary adopted by someone who really wanted a child and would have taken good care of her, that tells me that Betty was not this horrific human being. She was a kid suffering sexual abuse to be able to survive. So did Betty use Mary for sex work? Unclear. Was Mary abused by one or more than one of the men who were around her mom, Betty? Maybe without Betty even knowing? I personally think it's possible. I think that one way or another, Mary Bell was sexually abused as a young child just because of one fact. Oh, what's the fact? Brian House mutilated genitalia. Mary could have cut off his ears or mutilate his face or nose or whatever, but the fact that she only butchered uh, one area on his body, which was his penis and testicles, this makes me think Mary had a subconscious aversion for male genitalia because of sexual abuse incidents that she had suffered probably in her early years of life. So can we say 100% she was sexually abused, uh, either known or unknown to her mom, Betty? No, but is it possible? Yes. But what we can say for certain is that Mary's young life had already been marked by a loss. She had seen her five-year-old friend run over and killed by a bus. It happened right in front of her eyes. And it was horrible. You can imagine the blood, the little maimed body splayed on the asphalt. Ugh. People who knew her said that's when she started being more introverted and peculiar, unlike the other kids her age. Given all of this, are we surprised that Mary Bell had become a very unusual, weird child by age 10? No, I guess not. She had become a strange child, withdrawn and manipulative, and always dithering on the edge of violence. Other children were scared of her. Some said that you never knew when she would snap and beat up some kid. It's obvious that we're dealing with a very clear case of generational trauma here. It'd be interesting to know what Betty's parents were like, what Betty's childhood like. I'm pretty sure bad things happened to her from a very young age too. Yes, very good point. So what happened at Mary Bell's trial, Tyler? During the trial, the prosecutor told the court that Mary Bell's reason for committing the murders was solely for the pleasure and excitement of killing. And the British press referred to the child murderer as evil born. Meh, wrong. I don't think she was evil born. I think the ordeal she went through, uh, being thrown out of the window by her own mother, allegedly, and almost dying from overdosing on painkillers, uh, again, that her mom supposedly gave her, or maybe she took them herself, like playing around. But still, that indicates a very high level of... Uh, 
parental carelessness or negligence, right? So, I mean, this whole environment that she grew up in, and also the idea of feeling unwanted because her mother wanted to give her away, plus the episode with her friend dying in front of her, hit by the bus, plus the possible sexual abuse. It's a lot for a three, four-year-old to deal with. No child should have to experience that. Uh, I wish that aunt would have minded her own business because Mary would have been better off and those two poor little boys would be alive right now. Right. The jury agreed that Mary Bell had committed the murders and handed down a guilty verdict. It was manslaughter, though, not murder. That was the conviction because court psychiatrists had convinced the jury that Mary Bell showed classic symptoms of psychopathy and could not be held fully responsible for her actions. What about Norma Bell, the other girl who participated in Brian's murder, uh, the second child killed, the three-year-old one? It was determined during the trial that Norma Bell was an unwilling accomplice who had fallen under a bad influence. It was suggested that she might have even acted out of fear of Mary. She was acquitted. I don't know, but it could make sense. We know Norma was very happy when the police started interrogating both girls, and I think she might have been happy because she knew that if the police take Mary away, she will be safe. Remember that all the kids interviewed by the police did say that Mary was mean and even violent, and all the kids were afraid of her. We'll never know, I guess, if Norma Bell is fully innocent, but I can see how she would be afraid of Mary and would go along with whatever Mary would suggest. So, what was the sentence? The judge concluded that Mary was very dangerous and would kill again if afforded the opportunity, deeming her a serious threat to other children. 11-year-old Mary Bell, she had now just turned 11, was sentenced to be imprisoned at Her Majesty's pleasure a British legal term that denotes an indeterminate sentence. Well, what happened to Mary Bell? I mean, where is she now? It seems that Mary Bell's treatment and rehabilitation went great, and after 12 years, in 1980, she was released on license. What does that mean? <laughs> license? like. <laughs> it means that she was technically still serving her sentence, but was able to do so while living free in a community around other people under strict probation. Mary was given a new identity to provide her with a chance at a new life and protect her from the tabloids. But nevertheless, having a new name and so on wasn't enough. She was forced to move several times to escape hounding by tabloids, newspapers, and even regular people who somehow all found a way to track down her address. I think it's a good thing they rehabilitated her. That's the whole point of imprisoning someone. Rehabilitation, not punishment. <laughs> Would you want her to be your neighbor? Nope. <laughs> dog and two cats. They are my children, so no thank you very much. But that doesn't change the fact that she was a 10-year-old child with a horrifically abusive background when she committed these murders. And I think that despite the gruesome acts she did, she does deserve a second chance because she was rehabilitated. Well, she got her second chance, but things got worse for Mary Bell after she had her daughter in 1984. According to a very good article on allthatisinteresting.com by Leah Silverman, we'll link it in the episode notes, Mary Bell's daughter didn't know about her mother's crimes until she was 14, and a tabloid paper found Bell's common-law husband to track them both down. Soon, a slew of journalists surrounded her house and camped out in front of it, 
the family had to escape their home with bedsheets over their heads. The British tabloids are unlike anything. Ugh. I mean, there was a huge scandal. They even hacked into people's phones and private texts. I mean, recently, in the last few years, even into some of the royals' phones. And they certainly played a role in Diana's death. Anyway, today, Mary Bell is in protective custody at an undisclosed location, a secret address, and she and her daughter are protected under court order and continue to live anonymously. Not everyone feels Mary Bell deserves this protection and the luxury of an anonymous, quiet life with her family. Martin Brown's mother, June Richardson, told the media, it's all about her and how she has to be protected. As victims, we are not given the same rights as killers. I completely understand her point of view. I mean, her baby was killed in such a horrific manner, but also not granting this protection and anonymity to Mary means that her daughter, who is innocent, would have to deal with the press and attacks from people and so on too, which wouldn't be fair, like not at all. Nothing is fair in this case. There is no winner here. But Mary Bell remains protected by the British government, as we said, and ever since her case, court rulings protecting the identities of certain convicts are even unofficially referred to as Mary Bell orders. So, what's your dubimeter level for this episode, Sandra? Scale of 1 to 10. Well, look, I do not think I've heard of such a case before, of such a young child, and a girl too, killing other very young children, toddlers basically, and mutilating them the way Mary Bell did, and the haunting notes she left after vandalizing that nursery school, her joy at seeing her victims coughing. Not to be sexist, but it's usually male murderers. Very few serial killers are women, and even fewer are 10-year-old girls. Plus, the fact that her partner in crime for the murder of the second little boy has the same family name as her, Mary Bell and Norma Bell, not that it has any significance, other than it's just a crazy coincidence that just makes this case all the more interesting. Oh, and one last thing. Some argue Mary is not a serial killer because she murdered only two people, two kids. Uh, and the definition is like there's gotta be three. But there's more than the number of victims that goes into determining if someone is a serial killer. Mary did torture animals. She pushed another kid off a building. Just by luck, that kid didn't die. And she did try to strangle three other girls. And the psychiatrist said she would try again unless she gets the medical help she needs and rehabilitation. That's a child serial killer in my book. So given all we've talked about, I'm saying the bimeter level is a 9.8 for this episode. Not a full 10? No, not a full 10. 9.8 because I'm pretty sure we're going to stumble over some other even younger child who killed somebody. Like, who knows? 9.8. I'm leaning towards a 7.6. Okay, perfect. So our average dubimeter level for this episode is 9. Dubi friends, if you like us, please recommend Dubius to your friends and family. You know what I always say, personal recommendations are the best recommendations. And if you guys want us to know how much you like this episode, please leave a five-star Apple review. That would really help. You're assuming they like this episode a lot. Well, if they're still listening to us now at the very end of the episode, logic dictates our awesome listeners did love it because they're still here. <laughs> so if you guys want to let us know if you like this episode, please leave a five-star Apple review. That will be really appreciated. We are at Dubious Pod on all social media. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next week. We love you to be friends and don't forget to stay dubious.